So I've become a man of routine as I've got older. Never thought that would happen to me. Uh, I have a, a set routine. Some of you know. That, well, in fact, let me ask you. Where, where am I Thursday morning at uh, half past eight? Get out of the angels. Every, if you want to know where I am on a Thursday, um, if you ever want to see me about something, hang on. Actually, don't, because I'm writing my sermon. It really puts me off when people sit and talk to me. Um, no, no, I'll be down the Cafe of the Angels writing my talk, or should I say, writing up my talk um, on Thursday mornings. Anyway, and so this Thursday, I sat down, and I thought to myself, this week, since we're looking at these Beatitudes, we're looking at the characteristics that God likes in his coming kingdom, I thought I ought to look at uh, what's going on in the world and just try and just sort of see what the world's actually like and what's happening a bit more. So I, I flicked on my tablet to the BBC uh, News Headlines, I've become very boring as I've got older, actually. I look at about three websites. Uh, BBC Sport, obviously. Um, check, probably check out my Facebook page. And the BBC News headlines. And that's it. Uh, occasionally Wikipedia when I want to not understand something. But that's a different issue. Anyway. And these are the headlines as of Thursday morning at, at half past nine. UK told little time left for Brexit deal. Um, have you forgotten about Brexit? Do you pray about Brexit, Christians, this morning? Are you praying about unity of this nation? Are you praying about uh, that Europe is blessed in all this? Are we praying that God's church stands up uh, come next year? Or are we just sort of letting it, are we, are we moaning uh, about it? Are we complaining about it? Whether you voted in or out, do you still pray about it? Or has it gone off of our radar because perhaps nothing's really changed materially? Or are we, we going to pray about this when it hits us materially? I suggest that God's people should pray about it now uh, and pray uh, for a good future, one where God's kingdom will come uh, a bit more powerfully. Next headline I read was, could migration crisis finish the EU? It's pretty depressing, heavy, heavy on a Thursday morning. Then there was an article about the military arriving in, for the more, this terrible Moorlands fire. Uh, watchdog takes aim hotel booking sites, which made me slightly nervous because I booked a hotel. Gambling firms told to do more on welfare. Turns out big gambling companies aren't good for us after all and are ruining people's lives. Shock of all shocks. Hidden shame of elderly scam victims. And then a final one. Boy of 16 held over fatal stabbing. Wednesday evening at half past six, I believe, a 16-year-old boy um, killed somebody, I think a little bit older, and stabbed him in London. Another stabbing in our capital city. Another injury to our young people. Do we pray about that? It's all pretty depressing stuff, but nestled in that uh, was a wonderful story of a man named Herman Gordon. There uh, should be a picture of him, hopefully, possibly. Um, no, is there? No, come on, Gavin, bad engine bond. Um, no, no, sorry. Um, there's a picture of this guy, um, Herman Gordon. You may have seen... It'll appear. Uh, Herman Gordon is a cleaner at Bristol University, and uh, he's been there 12 years. He's originally from Jamaica. I believe his family are from Jamaica. And he's been described by the students of Bristol University as one of the jolliest men in the entire world. What a lovely thing to be said. I know a lot of people for whom it said he's the grumpiest man on planet Earth. What a terrible thing to be said about you. But he's the jolliest man. And so the students of Bristol University uh, had a whip round. Well, they had a crowdfunding page, because that's what you do nowadays, isn't it? They had a cra- bit of crowdfunding, and they raised £1,200 or thereabouts, and they gave it to Herman Gordon and for his family to go off to Jamaica and well, visit family in Jamaica this summer. And there's video of him in floods of tears because he's so overwhelmed at this act of generosity. And as we're thinking about these Beatitudes, if you've never read them before, the Beatitudes are a series of almost poetic sentences. Blessed are the dot, 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 for theirs is the dot, 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 as we've been read early on. And it's a, a summary of the kind of 
person and kind of character that God likes and wants in his coming kingdom. The sort of characteristics God wants for his Christians, his children, to behave like all the time. And really this story of Herman Gordon was like an analogy of what Jesus is trying to say in his Beatitudes. We're meant to be like him, just in the background, in our everyday life, interacting with other human beings, not necessarily at the front with our naming lights, but just there in different corners of society, being there is, being decent, being loving, showing God's love, the gospel in action, being salt and light, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, embodying the good news of Jesus Christ and expressing it, making a difference because of who we are, not just what we say. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, once you've said sorry for your sin and become a Christian, that act like you're a Christian. Produce fruit in your life that actually is fitting with the saviour that you follow. And we live in a world, don't we, where evil and darkness seems to spread very easily, very quickly. And we who are Christians this morning are called Christ's ambassadors. Imagine that, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We're called children of the light. And we're actually told in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, to live lives of love. To live lives in such a way that people notice, people see that there's something different about us. And these these beatitudes that uh, Brenda read to us aren't a list of ways to be nicer, because nice isn't being like Christ. It's about being like Jesus Christ, to show God's love in action, and to show to a world that is going on one path, that there is actually a different way to live. There is another way, another path to take through life. We need to be a different voice to a whole generation of lost people. All the markers that people uh, would normally traditionally use for identity, things like what you, uh, things like who you are when you're born, choices you make are slowly being taken away, aren't they? Nowadays, when people talk about who am I, no one knows. Nothing can be assumed anymore. It's not what you're born, it's all choice. You choose what you want to be at some point. And so many people are so more lost now than they ever have been before because they really don't know who they are. They can't even be said to be male or female anymore the way God made them at birth. And perhaps that's controversial to say. I don't think it is. I believe in a God that builds people atom by atom in the womb. And they're beautiful. But we're even taking that away. And that's a big topic. We can get into it another time. But there is a solid rock that people can stand on. Jesus Christ. When I became a Christian at 11 years old, I no more knew who I was than anybody else on the planet. But when I became a Christian at 11, my feet spiritually were planted on Jesus Christ. And as I stood on him, figuratively speaking, there was a foundation underneath me that nothing could take away. And in 29 years or whatever it's been now, That foundation has never been cracked or split or knocked. I've occasionally stepped off of it, but he has never let me down. And our world needs a strong foundation, and Christ is it. And so for these three weeks, we're looking at these Beatitudes in Matthew 5. These are attitudes, as I've said, that are fit 
for the coming kingdom of God. God's kingdom is coming. His rule will be fully realized on this earth. He is the king of kings, and he wants his people to behave and live a certain way. And so what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 is about living the way that is fit for a king. And these attitudes that we're looking at were countercultural when Jesus first said them in the first century. He lived in an environment where the where the people that had the, had the sort of cultural voice, if you like, were the Pharisees. And their way of living was self-serving and self-righteous. And Jesus came in with things like, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. And it was counter-cultural. It was the opposite to the message that was being given out there. And they're still counter-cultural this morning. We often praise the self-sufficient, the self-reliant, the self-serving But to follow and adapt and adopt these characteristics is extremely hard. These are markers of a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I tell you this morning, the world rarely sees a full-on true follower of Jesus Christ. Rarely. Because we often want our cake and eat it. And to live these out is not for the faint-hearted. It takes godliness and courage that often many of God's people have neither the faith and nor the stomach for. And these Beatitudes remind us of two very important things about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And the first is that it is all about self-sacrifice. True Christianity requires a denial of self. It's about putting others above you. Something that's totally at odds with the modern message. We're taught that the center of your universe is you. You are the middle of everything. Everything's about what you need and what you want and what your rights are. But Christianity says Christ is the center of your universe. And you come second. Actually, no. Actually, what Jesus taught is that you come third. It is love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you come third. It is countercultural to be a Christian in the 21st century. And not many people have the stomach for it because it is hard to be different to everybody else. Self-sacrifice has permeated our faith for 2,000 years, from day one, even in the life of our Savior. The great men and women of our faith who we often elevate up and read their books, I've got one here, D.L. Moody, I'll come on to him in a minute, were people who were used greatly by God, but who first offered him not some of their life, but all of their life everything and I believe it is time again for a generation of Christians to offer to our God everything a generation of Christians who are ready to embrace poverty physically but also reputationally are we ready to be thought of as rubbish and less a generation of Christians who are humble and even ready to face death for their king and their savior so that some hopefully many will be saved for eternity. It's time for people to stand again and say, God, take it all for your glory. I will go even to my grave for the good of other people's salvation. The second thing these Beatitudes show us is that actually as Christians, we work for a better reward than the world can offer us. So many people work for rewards they can see and touch and smell and taste. But actually the rewards God gives us are spiritual. If you look at these beatitudes there's a, 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 for theirs, a, there's, a, there's a reward for everyone. They'll be comforted. They'll inherit the earth. They'll be shown mercy. They'll see God. 
These are spiritual rewards. And the spiritual blessings, as Ephesians 2 tells us, have been given to us in Christ in their entirety. And the rewards of God are infinitely better than the rewards of this world. Everything in this world, the Bible says, will be eaten by moth and destroyed by rust. Everything we build up will always fall down. But when we work for food that doesn't spoil, as Jesus says, when we put our investment in the kingdom of God, then those rewards last for eternity. And that's why Christians have embraced poverty from day one. Because they say, who cares if I have nothing on this earth? Because I have everything in the next. Often we get it the wrong way around, don't we? Are we ready this morning to stand as Christians, to not be squeezed into the mold that society would have us in, but to be squeezed into a Christ-shaped mold, so that our friends and our family, our neighbours, and even our enemies will see Jesus when they see us? So let's have a little brief look at these Beatitudes. Uh, Brenda read the whole thing to us, and we'll probably have it read again next week. Um, Matthew chapter 5, let's read from verse 3 to 8. We looked at the first three last week, and then the second three this week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That first one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, I have to, um, I shouldn't, Andrew's in the room, but, um, just pretend she's not. But Andrew insists on taking me for a walk. I'm not, I'm not a dog. Um, she suggests that it would be nice as a couple if we go for a romantic stroll. So a couple of times a week, uh, you may see me sort of trudging around Sawbridgeworth for about six miles. I'm too old for all this nonsense. Anyway, but the other day it was hot as the sun frankly and I remember getting in I was so thirsty that I think one of the children answered the front door and I almost pushed him over to get to the kitchen to have a glass of water with some icing obviously I'm not a Philistine anyway and uh, but I was thirsting for that and the moment I was drinking it I just felt filled I was full and I felt better in that instance and actually uh, it's a bit like our lives as human beings. Do you know, there are two types of yearning that a human being has, two types of wanting, two types of thirsting in the human condition. The first is for Jesus Christ and his salvation through his death and resurrection on the cross. Now, many people don't realize they yearn for Christ. They talk of yearning for meaning. People will say things like, well, what is the point of my life? What's my purpose? I'm yearning for purpose. People yearn for love. They yearn for happiness. But what they don't perhaps realize, unless someone tells them, is that what they're actually yearning for is a relationship with Jesus Christ, is the forgiveness that only he can give because he's the risen savior. What people yearn for is Jesus. That's the first yearning. And actually, it's good to know that because when someone says to you, I just want to be content in my life, What you should be thinking is not you need a new job, but you need Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who gave me everything I ever needed. But there's a second yearning, and that's for those who have once they've become Christians and had that first yearning answered, and that is the yearning for more of God. In Psalm 63, David, who is in a desert at the time when he writes this, running away for fear of his life, says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. 
in a dry and parched land where there is no water. He's in a desert, but he's, that's revealing how he feels. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. David is yearning for more of God. And when we yearn for that closer walk of God, that deeper righteousness, God fills us. I've been reading uh, this book, the 19th century American evangelist, a guy called D.L. Moody. Um, anyone? You've heard, some of you have heard of him, hopefully. I think we might have one. Thank you. That's three of you. I have to have a Sunday where I just tell all the people I know about. <laughs> so that we, can all, we can all nod at the same time. Anyway, D.L. Moody was, uh, he was a, a ruffian. Well, he was a bit of a troubled teenager, and he became a Christian, and he met Jesus, and he just gave, he gave it all up. He gave everything up to serve the King of Kings, and God used him mightily to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus' death and resurrection. But he had a moment in his ministry where he was feeling really dry. He was feeling like when he got up to preach, he was preaching for his own reputation, and, uh, and he had this moment that he referred to as the blessed hour. And so he runs to a friend, I'll, I'll read this to you, it says... He hurried to the house of his friend nearby, saying he must be alone. He was shown upstairs and on entering quickly, asked, half apologizing, I need to be alone. Have you a room I can use? Moody's host graciously showed him to a room without delay. He entered, closed the door and sat on a sofa, then went to his knees. Almost instantly, he had a deep, unmistakable sense of the presence of God. Words nearly failed Moody when he tried to tell what happened next. Ah, what a day, he remembered. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say God revealed himself to me. I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went preaching again. The sermons were not different. I had not presented any new truths, yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. One writer described it as Moody's personal Pentecost. Many a time I have thought of it since, Moody said some years later. I was wretched no longer. If I had not been a different man since, I did not... Sorry. If I have not been a different man since, I do not know myself. There was a time when I wanted only to see my little vineyard blessed, but I could not get out of it. But I could work for the whole world now, go round the world, tell the perishing millions of a saviour's love. He referred to that moment in the upper room as a blessed hour. And do you know what happened next? In the next chapters, referred to the mission to Great Britain. He comes across to this country and he spends months and months and months in Scotland and Ireland and England hundreds and thousands of people became Christians why because D.L. Moody hungered and thirsted for righteousness and God filled him do you yearn for more of God this morning are you content with where you are spiritually the promise is clear when you yearn you are filled and a filled Christian with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit changes Lives, And we must search ourselves for that blessed hour 
in our own spiritual walk. The second one, verse 7, says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This beatitude is about acting like God. God is merciful. God shows mercy to his people. Mercy is about withholding a just punishment, not giving someone what they deserve. In Romans chapter 11, verse 30, Paul writes of God's mercy. He says, Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. He's talking about something else, but he's saying there that once you hated God and you weren't interested, and God could have punished you for your sin. He had the right to. But now he's shown you mercy. You've come to Christ, and that punishment has gone on his shoulders, and you've now received the mercy of God. What really strikes me here is that this goes against the grain. We're often obsessed with our rights in the 21st century. I want it because it's my right to have it. We've become angry people in the 21st century. We rant. And if you don't believe me, I dare you to write something countercultural on Facebook this afternoon and just see how many people shoot you down because you've not gone with a contemporary way of looking at things. People want because it's their rights and people are getting angrier and angrier and angrier. We want justice for every injustice. But the Christ way is about saying, even though you've stepped on me, my response will not be anger, but it will be mercy. It will be not having my right for the greater good. This is how God treated every single one of us in Christ. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says we're objects of wrath in the sight of God, but he showed mercy and grace because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we are to show mercy in this world. We're not to be people who take revenge. We're not to be people who insist on full payment. We're not to be people who save face. We're not to rant or to moan or to shout or to scream. We're to be people who forgive, who let go, who love. And the third one, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you're pure of heart, you get to see God. You get to be in God's presence and be that close to him that it's as if you're looking at his face. What an amazing thing to be promised. That's a spiritual reward. You can keep the house and you can keep everything this world offers. I want to see the face of God. Here, Jesus links holiness and happiness clearly. What a message for the world that true happiness only really comes in the face of your king. And the that the ways and the ethics and the laws of the Bible are not about killing people's fun as we're so often accused, but about showing us how we can see God. That word for pure, Jesus uses, is about being clean, unstained from guilt. Wouldn't that be wonderful for people? It's And that word for heart is about that center of our spiritual walk. Purity is no longer something we speak of. We talk of experiences. We talk of doing. But actually the Bible speaks of being pure, saying no of taking a higher road. God's people are to be pure. We're not to be envious. We're not to be angry. We're not to be people of gossip. We're to be people who are gentle, people who are kind, who are caring, who are bold in our message whilst loving everyone we meet. We're to be people that say no, who have the courage to not follow the crowd because God asks us to. And you know, if you're pure in heart, you will see God. That blessed hour that D.L. Moody had, you will have too, and I will have too. We will like we will see the very face of Jesus. And that will change the world. Because when God's people 
get close to their God, the radiance of the king shines from our life. And people can't ask, can't help but ask, what's happening with you? There was a woman in this church, she's not here today, so I can tell the story. I hope she doesn't mind. Who did Alpha a few years ago and became a Christian on it. And somebody else asked her a short time later what face cream she started using because her face was so much lighter and more radiant. And the answer was nothing. I've just become a Christian. So many of us lose that. We lose that initial intimacy and we kind of fade away and we get a bit like everybody else. We need to get back to that purity and that closeness and that intimacy with the King of Kings. We're allowed to have it It as our privilege and our birthright in Christ Jesus. These Beatitudes are a challenge to be different, a challenge to change the world, to go against the direction of culture, to live in a way that shows our world, our children, that there is a better way through life. To not just go with the flow, but to actually go the way our maker made us. And so, as I finish, I wonder what the challenge will be for us this week. Will we look different? Will we seem different? Will we sound different? Will we post the same things on Facebook that everybody else posts? Will we rant at the same things everybody else rants at? When people say, what's the point of coming to work Monday? Will we say, yeah, I want to go home. I hate it as well. Or will we say something about Jesus? Will we be like Jesus on the shop floor or in the office or on the bus or on the tube or at the Haley Centre or wherever we might be? Will we look and feel and sound different so that people will think there's another way through life, a better way, God's way? There's the challenge for all of God's people. And I just want to urge every single one of us this morning to not be content where you are in your relationship with Christ because there is that closer walk with God. And it's just there. It's just there for the taking. And we just have to make a few more steps forward. Give up a few things, do a few extra things, make time, pray, fast, step out of our comfort zones and let God show us his face. That will be the making of your walk, I promise you. Let's pray. Father God, we just lift up, Lord, I lift up all these words to you this morning. Lord, as we look at these Beatitudes, Father, we want to be people, Lord, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Father, make your people people who are merciful. Father God, may we not be people who just rant and shout and scream. And Lord, forgive us, Lord, any of us here this morning who have put things, and it seems to be social media these days is where we, we rant the most. Lord, it used to be road rage, but now Lord, it's social media rage. And Lord, we just rant and we say what we feel and then we regret it perhaps. And Lord, may we be people, Lord, that show the world that there is a different way of living. Father God, not so that people can think we're nice, so that people can be introduced to their saviour. Lord, I just thank you for your word and I pray you use it to challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen.